Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. The only thing that I'm going to have to remember is that it's a verbal thing, not a visual thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, um, that's, often, that's often one of the biggest challenges for the podcast is when, you, when you're being recorded visually. Although we do have a lot of people who will watch on YouTube as, rather than just listen on, on podcasts. So um, it is visual for some people who watch on YouTube. So, yeah. Um, anyway, mate. Are you back in you back with us? Yeah, you're back with us. You'd frozen a minute then. Um but yeah, the, the red light, the red light's rolling. So um we're good to go. I'm real, real pleasure for me to be joined today on the podcast by James Dawes. We've had like a five minute introduction. We've briefly met previously at the uh, British Aggregate Association uh inaugural transport committee meeting. Uh, but other than that, we've we've not had particularly much contact apart from online. It's always strange when you meet people virtually, isn't it? And then you actually meet them in the room and then you go back to having Zoom or Teams conversations. But um, James, it's an absolute pleasure uh, to have you uh, join me as a guest on a Half Dozen Things podcast. And we've just sort of had a brief overview of what we're going to look at speaking about on, on the podcast today. And it's incredible how aligned our philosophies are around road safety and also you know the the vision and the commitment that we want to make uh, as we uh, as we look to improve road safety. So, um, James, just for the benefit of the listeners, are you able to just give yourself a bit of an introduction, who you are, Doors Highway Services, and those kinds of things, and then we'll sort of get into the half dozen things. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, absolutely uh, mirror what you're saying. It's uh, lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, yeah. So, uh, James Doors, that's me. Um, and in 2014, I set up Doors Highway Safety, um, which uh, buttons up over a little umbrella of safety products and philosophies and things that we're driving towards to make the roads a generally safer place. Now, the way that the company came about was um, I was a police officer for many years in central London, and I was a sergeant on the roads policing unit. Um, running a team of 40-odd officers all on motorcycles, covering the whole southeast quarter of London, pretty much from the Palace of Westminster right out to the M25. And we were seconded to Transport for London to respond and um, try and reduce any uh, collisions that were classed as what's known as a KSI, which is where a person's killed or seriously injured. So my team uh, and I... Um, and uh, three other sergeants as well. We were going out all over the place across South London, uh, attending incidents where cyclists and pedestrians had been harmed in road traffic collisions. And the majority of that time, unfortunately, it was heavy goods vehicles that were involved. So we were tasked with coming up with initiatives and plans that would uh, mitigate the effect this was having on the cycling and vulnerable road user community. And one of the things that we uh, set up was something called the Exchanging Places event, 
and the first ones were set up by our team in London and we started delivering those and sure enough those have now become ubiquitous across the UK they're incorporated into uh, things like fours and earned recognition uh, training whereby a cyclist sits up in the lorry for the day to appreciate blind spot signs and then likewise lorry drivers are invited to spend the day on a bicycle to feel what it's like to be passed by a big lorry and learn a little bit about cycling and that was the exchanging places but the main thing for me was as i was uh, supervising a lot of these collisions i was looking at the dynamics of what constituted somebody being injured and a lot of witnesses always used to say oh it's terrible they were dragged under the lorry or sucked under the lorry and i realized that the open side rails on the side of a lorry were something that people could become entangled in when a person, a bicycle part, an arm or a leg, gets entangled by a vehicle that's moving forwards, the natural physics of gravity means their body acts like a pendulum effect and they swing beneath the line of those side safety rails, which unfortunately is in line with the rear wheels. And this was obviously um, something that a person versus a big heavy lorry and the rear axles, usually the person came off much, much worse. So in my official capacity, I started speaking to some of our key stakeholders and saying to these big companies, look, why do you keep the side rails open? And people just looked at me and said, well, what do you mean? So I explained that what if you closed them off, people would bounce off the side or not get entangled and fall to the ground. And OK, they might end up with a bump, but they wouldn't end up getting crushed. And I just got lots of blank faces and I couldn't believe it. So I kept pushing and saying, look, why doesn't someone come up with it? And there was no appetite for it. And the big thing was, because there was no product commercially available, it wasn't on anyone's radar, but it was such a painfully simple thing. And we dealt with, in uh, 2013, something called Operation Safeway, where we were making a big proactive uh, some enforcement work in London to protect cyclists and pedestrians. And dealt with one very, very nasty collision, which had a particular effect on the mental health of one of my officers. I was his line manager. And at that point, I realised that having had in the back of my mind an idea that could have prevented that person dying, and on that occasion, Daddy would have gone home if it had been there, I struggled with my own conscience to continue responding to incidents where people have been extremely injured or killed when I knew there was a potential to stop it altogether. So I made a leap of faith and I voluntarily resigned from the Metropolitan Police and my career and my pension to set up Doors Highway Safety. And speaking to some of the people I'd worked with in my capacity as a police officer and said, look, I'm going to give it a go. They were very supportive. Some of the firms like Kelp Bray and um, Semex and Tarmac, people like that, really sort of stood up and took note and said, actually, this is a no-brainer. Why has no one done it before? And since then, we've done over 20,000 panels in the UK. We have commitments from some of the biggest players in the United Kingdom, um, Tarmac, Aggregate Industries, uh, Breeden, people like that, they all fit flat panel side safety covers 
people panels, as I called them, because they protect people, um, on all of their vehicles that go on the road. And they've actually written it into their red book of safety. And then some work came along by the Transport Research Laboratory, who did some testing with flat panels up at a proving ground um, with a, a, an agency called Mira in the Midlands. And they actually said, well, flat panel side guard, they estimated could save up to 5% of cycling fatalities year on year in the UK, and a very similar amount of pedestrian fatalities. And now that something had come along that provided a solution for this, there was really something that, you know, should be rolled out. And we've had recognition from the road safety charity break, um, fleet operations, operators recognition scheme, clocks, um, the DBSA earned recognition scheme. And uh, we're going from strength to strength. And, you know, we, to the best of our knowledge, we've not had a, a single fatality with a vehicle that's been fitted with people panels. So I like to think that we're on our way, on our journey, and we're already making an effect and making a real difference in saving lives. Fantastic, fantastic. I always feel like I need to like clap. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just an incredible, incredible story. And I didn't want to interrupt you whilst you, uh, whilst you shared it for the listeners. And if those of you, if those of you that are listening on the podcast and can't see what James is speaking about, then please do go and look up people panels. But if you're watching on YouTube, you can see one right behind his head on the on. The, I think it's a, is it a canvas or something of a London energy vehicle, and you can get get the idea of what a people panel looks like and just how uh, how incredibly improved it is compared to the two metal bars that usually act as the side guards on on that that type of body so um i think it's an absolutely fantastic story um with regards to the sort of half dozen things james we, we'd sort of prepared that we're going to sort of talk through some bits here and um, um, first of all just for the listeners they can know what to expect we're going to talk about james's background as a police officer what led to him uh, him him starting uh, in that role as well as obviously the the, the changes that he picked up on the lorries that he's just alluded to there we're going to talk a bit about people panels and what future products may be coming up as well as driving cultural change in the in the fleet sector and uh, and how we can impact the future of road safety as well so uh, we've got a few bits to sort of cover off so uh, first of all, if it's okay for us to sort of take it back to the beginning, James, with regards to being a police officer, uh, how old were you when you signed up? Is that what you knew, always knew you wanted to be? Um, and, and how did that sort of come about? And did you sort of enjoy your, your career in the force? Yeah, I mean, um, I actually became a special constable when I was at university. Um, I was all, also at the time uh, doing something called a special short service commission in the British Army. And I decided that, you know, I was at uni and I wanted to explore my opportunities before I... So what did you study at uni, James? What did you study? So I did something called human geography and Western politics. So human geography is like demographics, why people live where they live, work where they work. And I did a dissertation on the spatial variance of crime in the London borough of Hillingdon which um, at the time my chief superintendent uh, took to New Scotland Yard um, and said, we've had one of our special constables, a student, do this piece of work. And it actually shows that um, we need more funding to cover one of the biggest boroughs in London. And here's the evidence for it. And he got incredible. it. That's, inc <laughs> that's incredible. So my, my degree actually worked quite well for the police. And uh, 
by that time I was hooked on the idea of being a policeman and uh, when I graduated I went off to Hendon and did my 19 weeks and ended up as a young probationer in the London Borough of Wandsworth and I was doing everything from jumping over garden fences, chasing burglars to arresting shoplifters and all the kind of things that normal sort of everyday policing entails. Brilliant, brilliant. And I, I imagine as a young man, you quite enjoyed that, no doubt, because it, it certainly appeals to me in, in, in one way or another. Yeah, it was good fun. I mean, there were some very good moments. There are some incredibly dark moments. Um, it does tend to uh, have a little bit of an effect on your mental health. I was um, uh, at Tavistock Square on 7-7, which, of course, was the location where the bus um, was attacked. That was quite a, a galling experience, something you never forget. Um, quite regularly, I was going to road traffic collisions and that kind of thing. But there was also the human side of things, being able to help people that were really in distress and the look of relief on someone's face when a uniform turned up to actually look after people and recovering people's property, which made a huge difference to their business and that kind of thing. You know, it's... Um, it, 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 it was rewarding as well as as well as very tiring working early these late and nights. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine the uh, the impact of you that there's an impact physically of those different shift patterns, but not only that. Like you say, there's the there's certainly the mental health ramifications as well, which I'm sure you've seen uh, plenty of both both with your own challenges and with uh, those of uh, your colleagues as well. Uh, my my dad was a police officer for 30 years in Cambridgeshire and um, he uh, he served at the miners strikes and he uh, he certainly had um, saw some challenges there were some challenges around that time so um, yeah and I fully understand and uh, yeah it's uh, it, I, I don't know if you grew up uh, in, in in a similar manner but growing up with a police officer for a dad it's uh, the straight and narrow I tell you <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> all the way through. I used to have. There's. I've never. I've never told this story on the podcast before. But it, I, I grew up around loads of messaging around um, like crime and stuff. So we used to have a. Uh, we had a key ring on our back door key, which was like uh, crime doesn't pay. There's like <laughs> this. There's like this like brass brass key ring. Crime doesn't pay. And then on the other side, it said, if you can't do the cr- uh, time, don't do the crime. Uh, would be the other one with like a J or so yeah that was uh, the messaging I grew up with as a kid so um, <laughs> very good but nonetheless uh, a, a noble profession nonetheless for sure so um, okay Brill and then you've told us a bit about how you uh, sort of got fell into the the sort of um, I need to be really careful of my language here because I keep thinking about falling and uh, like fell into and then obviously we're talking about road safety so I need to be a little bit more careful with my choice of words here um but you uh you, you obviously covered the the sergeant role uh for uh the highway side of things so um tell me a bit more about that because I think I think people who are away from London probably don't really realize just how challenging an environment that is from a traffic point of view and from an incident point of view. I imagine that was a very, very busy time, right? Yeah, I mean, something that people uh, talk about in road safety a lot is a Dutch model of of, uh, cycling and that kind of road network. And in places like Holland and Germany and parts of France and wider field, it is something that you can incorporate cycle lanes and that kind of thing into. But because apart from the obvious during the blitz, London 
didn't lose a lot of its cities and infrastructure like a lot of Western Europe did during World War II, which were then subsequently rebuilt. And Western Europe was generally, the cities were rebuilt to an American model where you have very wide streets and a very wide building line. And in more modern times, that's been a lot easier to incorporate new infrastructure like cycle lanes, etc. Now, people that know central London, if you go up to places like Holborn and, you know, uh, around uh, parts of Charing Cross or uh, up in the West End, the actual building line to building line, the streets are very small and they were only ever designed for horse and cart. So when you've got big lorries like the one behind me sharing the road space with tourists from other countries that look out the wrong way when they're crossing the road, lots of bicycles, lots of Uber Eats scooters driving around, couriers, tourists, all that kind of thing. It's an incredibly densely populated area. And where you have lots of people close together and lorries sharing that same road space, the element of risk is increased because reaction times decrease so much. So lorries and cars don't have as uh, long to break. The driver is deprived of reaction time because they can't look at one person if they're driving down the, the road in the countryside and they see a person, there's, there's the person, there's the risk. But if you've got crowds of people either side on the pavement, any one of those people could step out at any one time. So naturally the element of risk increases. So this is something that, you know, certainly in London, there has been a bigger emphasis on trying to safeguard vulnerable road users. And over the last five or 10 years, that has, uh, lessons have been learned, good practices have been advanced, bad practices or things that haven't really worked have been sort of set aside. And those best practices are being shared by road safety professionals to improve safety, not just in London, but in other areas where you tend to have a lot of cyclists Quite often the red brick uh, university sort of towns, Edinburgh, Manchester, places like that, uh, Cambridge, where you have lots and lots of cyclists. Um, but also this policy of uh, safer roads and sharing spaces is something that's also now being um, adopted for rural areas as well. So people are looking at encompassing things like equine safety, the close passing of groups of cyclists who are out on a weekend riding around the country, you know, the, the Surrey Hills on a weekend, that kind of thing. Motor, motor car drivers need to be aware of, you know, uh, appropriate safe passing distances and uh, how much you should slow down for if you see somebody riding a horse, that kind of thing. So it's exciting times, actually, and it's really nice to be part of it and be able to bring some of my road safety experience to, you know, to help the bigger picture yeah absolutely i was gonna say as um I, so i grew up i grew up in cambridge or just just outside cambridge in a little village called over but i did my i learned to drive in cambridge and um so fortunately or unfortunately i was very wit much witness to cyclists and uh having a mind of their own and much like so i was thinking very much about cambridge which is my point of reference or frame of reference i suppose not being a londoner um but growing up around cambridge cambridge is very similar to how you explain it and they've done they've done quite a grand job actually of trying to 
almost get cars out of the city centre. They have a park and ride scheme, which is uh, very successful um, in, in the Cambridge area. And I think that, you know, they've made parking extremely extortionate so people won't go into the city centre. You know, there, there's not, I can see the tactics they've used to try and keep cars out. Um, but I remember learning to drive. I actually failed my car driving test twice. And each time was because of a cyclist or my or the perceived reaction of mine to a cyclist one was uh the guy must have had a death wish but i had to emergency stop on a roundabout as he sort of came flying around parked cars leading up on the right hand side so um obviously from my position i was going to blame him but uh the examiner was the examiner made his decision and, and what have you but um it's a it's a tricky thing to learn to drive around cambridge you've got so much double parking you've got uh, loads of cyclists it's uh it, it's very tricky but i guess that i learned very early about sharing the road with what we call vulnerable road users if people are listening and aren't particularly familiar with that term essentially it's someone who hasn't got the benefit of this like metal cab uh, whether that be a car or a vehicle um they're, they're people that haven't got that metal cab around them so cyclists motorcyclists pedestrians um uh, etc are, are vulnerable road users so um yeah i think uh so when I think about it and I think about driving the coach, in, interestingly, we actually went to London yesterday, um, me, uh, Maggie and the children, we went to the Imperial War Museum um, and, uh, and then we went to, so we had a walk around there and then we also went to uh, the Natural History Museum. And uh, so we got off at Elephant and Castle. So it's quite interesting. We get to King's Cross. The kids aren't really used to the hustle and bustle of London at all anyway. Um, they're eight, uh, nine, 10 and 11 and um just walking from so for elephant and castle we got off and did like a 10 minute walk to uh, the imperial war museum and just that bit of road and the the side streets coming through and i was just visualizing it when you were talking earlier like there were workmen working around um there was a, a tipper vehicle down one street and then there's some parking up the side and actually uh my daughter was not too far away from being run over at one point we had to sort of drag her literally drag her across the road because what started as a a clear crossing soon wasn't a clear crossing with the amount of time it took for her to sort of cross across uh, come across so uh yeah it's uh it's it's frightening really just how busy it was and interestingly we saw stormzy uh i'm i'm 100 sure it was stormzy as we were walking from elephant and castle there was uh there's an ambulance coming down and uh, this like uh, matte black Lamborghini Euros, you know, the like the four by four, it was like matte black and the windows were down and there was some like heavy sort of hip hop type music. And I sort of looked in and the ambulance staff had slowed down next to it and we were obviously chatting. And I was like, oh, Max, look, that storm's in there. Like, no way. Anyway, anyway, random story. <laughs> no, no, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're really proud to sponsor a Half Dozen Things podcast. At Flagship Partners, we take road safety really seriously and we're your road safety partnership. We help transport companies with compliance and training across their businesses, including first aid, driver CPC and other transport management services. So if your fours accredited or you want to improve your operator compliance risk score, give Flagship Partners a call today. <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless. So so you have this experience and uh, you decide... or. or a spot an opportunity for what could be the changes to vehicles tell me a bit more about sort of how how that sort of came to life and obviously that was a big big risk for you and I, one of the things i'm passionate about is road safety the other is business and entrepreneurship so you spotted this opportunity and gone do you know what 
I'm going to leave the safety of this career um, and uh, I'm going to progress progress this goal because you you felt this drive essentially that you know people people were getting injured or or even even worse situations happening and that actually you had you had the idea for a product that could prevent that from happening you know I'm I'm not so no way is the flagship partners model quite as noble as that but you know i've been in a very similar situation i was in a corporate job with volvo and you know everything was nice and fine and i was on this management journey and i was going to have a nice career and a pension and all of that sort of stuff and i was like no stuff that i've got this call in to go and do do what we do so yeah talk to me a bit about that and sort of what the early years were like and um how you were sort of trying to push you know how, how did you get the momentum going because i can see you have some momentum now with uh, how was it twenty thousand panels now fitted that you said yeah, so what, what was it like in the early days? So um, not being uh, from a business background, I had a very, very steep learning curve. And I quite quickly realized that while safety does sell, um, there needs to be what for what is one of the older um, industries with road transport, etc. Um, there needed to be a clear return on investment for people to invest in, you know, um, this kind of safety equipment they haven't heard of. Things like cameras on lorries, people just know that cameras are better because it's being driven by insurance companies. But flat panel side guards were something that because they hadn't existed, people needed to see the value. And it was really up to me to show them as much value as possible. So as well as the actual safety benefits, the mechanical, physical safety benefits, something we looked at quite closely was the design of the panels and the ability to be able to incorporate personalization. And you can see from the from the vehicle behind me, which belongs to London Energy, we've actually incorporated their colors, their logo, that kind of thing, so that they can advance their own corporate social responsibility at the same time as making their lorries look better, um, using it as an advertising space. Certainly some companies that we've had, they opt for phone numbers and other types of road safety message, that kind of thing. But ultimately, as long as somebody's looking at that area on the vehicle, they're looking at that side danger zone, which is very much within that blind spot danger area as well. And it just helps people keep away from the vehicle. So sure enough, you know, when we were able to have a portfolio of returns on investment that we could show to people, we were able to have more meaningful conversations and start to grow the business, as well as looking at other areas that we were able to, to look at, listening to customers who were coming up with other problems that we could potentially provide a solution for. So it was a struggle for any startup, small business. You know, I started off making the very first panels at home in a spare in a spare bedroom, knocking them up, and uh, had my own little production facility. And now we've got several staff members and a big production facility and a forklift truck moving materials around and various other machines that have just come from very carefully sort of building up a. a a small to medium-sized business and i say it's been exciting it's been a heck of a journey yeah absolutely i think uh, we'll have to share a beer at some point and have a bit more of a discussion around that side i think what, what i love about the panels 
I'll just point this out is I think I think they're educational as well. I think they've got this opportunity because what what you can't measure or you will not be able to measure, but I think the impact that they're having will be the educational message in that they're they're communicating to young people as they're going past uh, uh, people who are they're potentially not at risk or, or or at risk of harm from the vehicles, but it's it's showing them actually that's a dangerous spot right there. That's a very dangerous spot where I am or where I would be where that panel is. I'll make sure I keep away from that in the future. I think that's uh, that's the other benefit. It's, it's the safety message that it's sending too. That's almost subliminal. Yes, that's exactly. It. I mean, we have done all sorts of um, messages on the side during uh, the first lockdown. We worked with a company called Swain Group, um, and we were actually putting panels on the side of their vehicles that said "Stay home, protect the NHS, save lives." Um, when the lockdowns ended, we did a huge rainbow that said "Thank you, NHS," um, and other safety campaigns. For example, I'm working at the moment with the British Aggregates Association, and I put on LinkedIn today actually their safe load campaign, and we've actually produced that on the side. The other thing we did during lockdown, uh, I think it was lockdown two actually, we recognised there are a lot of kids at home with not very much to do, so we ran a national campaign and uh, for children to design a road safety message. And a young lady up in uh, Sunderland actually, she designed her very own one that said um, slow down and keep safe and it had a picture of family holding hands with a little speed camera and things and she was our competition winner. And um, we designed it and we fitted it on a juicer's lorry in her area. And that's been into her school, so the kids have got to see it. And it just reinforces that, that, road, safety, uh, that road safety culture, you know, sharing that. But it can backfire. And the wording on the side, it's, it's especially fours, but for those of you who don't know, that means the Fleet Operators Recognition Scheme which was originally set up by Transport for London. And in uh, what's called their four standard, they talk about things that shouldn't be um, incorporated in prominent warning signage. And that's things like stay back or cyclists beware or keep clear or danger. Because those encompass instructional wording and Vulnerable road users shouldn't be being told, they shouldn't be given an instruction to stay back. They don't like it. it, that's what it comes down to. The other thing is that they shouldn't be using terminologies that discourage greener forms of transport, like walking and cycling. So advertising, danger, keep clear, this kind of thing, it can actually, it's been found to discourage parents from encouraging children to use uh, bicycles to school, for walking, that kind of thing. <clears throat> so we're looking at something that was seen as more message neutral. So we started with coming up with some ideas on messages that we could put out there. And we had different wording, different phrases, different signs and symbols as well. Some of them were very plain, some of them were quite detailed and stylized and we went out and would you believe it over a few days uh, a team of um, my mates and I we actually surveyed a thousand people in London and we spoke to lorry drivers cyclists pedestrians motorcyclists and we asked them have a look at these images 
have a look at these wordings, what do you want to be on the lorry? And we put all of that together and we took it back to the London Cycling Campaign and we were working at the time with Semex and Transport for London and we said, actually, people just want it to be polite. So let's start with the word please. So we went with the word please, as you can see behind me. Please take extra care near this vehicle. It says it all, but it's polite. It's not specific to cyclists or pedestrians, but we needed some sort of icon on there. And the feedback we had was actually cyclists and this particular panel behind doesn't have it. We've got some pedestrians, which is um, two parents walking together, pushing a little push chair. And it was seen as something that was going to bring all of the vulnerable road users together. So it wasn't just singling out pedestrians or cyclists, etc. It was just giving a message to everybody. But in contrast, on the other side of the vehicle, on the offside, this is where we were finding a lot of motorcyclists are filtering down the outside. And one of the frustrations of motorcyclists in central London is where cyclists filter down the outside because that's inherently their road space. And there's also a greater risk of injury because you've got the threat of oncoming vehicles as well. So we wanted to try and subliminally, as you put it, reinforce the fact that cyclists and pedestrians are generally on the pavement side because if something happens and you're on a bicycle and you lose your safety margin, something's going to happen. You've got somewhere to go. You can fall onto the pavement. You can fall away from the vehicle. If that happens when you're on the other side, you've nowhere to go because you're either falling into the offside of the moving vehicle or you're falling into a live lane of traffic that's coming towards you at potentially 30, 40 miles an hour. So through our signage, we try to encourage people back into their natural road space, which we know, which is statistically the safest place for them to be in that particular capacity. So the wording and the cyclists and the pedestrian signage and all the rest of it, that's very much kind of ours and we developed it and We've the, the, certainly the symbols we've copyrighted and it's down as a UK registered design. And because we've got case studies and done an awful lot of academic work backed up by statistics, we're able to go to large companies and say, look, you can have the real confidence in knowing that, uh, that what you're putting on the side of the vehicle is appropriate. There have circumstances in the past, certainly Jeremy Vine on BBC Radio 2 hauled one very large UK supermarket over the coals for having um, passing side and suicide on the side of their vehicle. And there was another one that said, alert today, alive tomorrow. And these kind of things, they're done in good faith. Maybe some local transport manager thinks, what can I say, what can I do and put on the side of my lorry to you know, to spread a message. But actually, these kind of things, they instill fear and it's not productive. And it also burns bridges um, psychologically between the road user groups, the lorry driver who doesn't like cyclists, the cyclist who thinks, oh, the lorry shouldn't be there anyway. But actually, we need to share those road spaces. So by using appropriate signage, the way that we see it is that we can help reinforce that relationship between the road user groups and just encourage safer practices all around. Fantastic. I think um, that that's a really interesting thing that I'd not really 
considered before. So as a safety professional, I often consider signage and how, you know, but normally it's to do with buildings or parking spaces or uh, certainly like pedestrian walkways and that kind of thing. I've never really thought about the safety signage around the vehicle. As, as we support customers with fours, I was aware of the wording um, and, and the requirement for certain specific wording for the four standard, but I've not really thought about it from a, you know, from a from a sharing and collaborative point of view. But I've, I absolutely share your ethos on that in that I get very frustrated when I see on Facebook, I'm part of some of the driver communities on Facebook and that kind of thing where, um, you know, drivers are being particularly derogatory around other road users. Um, and uh, there's this, there's this like almost trying to take ownership of the road, right? Um, and 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 in reality, it's a, it's a collaborative space. It's a shared space that that we all need to coexist, and and we do need to coexist in. So I think um, I think that's some fantastic research that you've done. I think that's really really interesting actually, to be able to sort of demonstrate that this is uh, this is uh, sort of researched and 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 what we need to have because, like you say. The, I can see the transport managers, they're probably either thinking they're going to be a bit funny or they're thinking that they're going to do something a bit original or a bit out there. And actually, um, it can be um, yeah, counterproductive, which is uh, which is not good because ultimately we want everyone, everyone on the road to be of a sound state of mind as well. It's stressful enough without without stressful messaging as well or fearful messaging. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, put the fear of God into people and, you know, make people think, ah, you know, there's too much risk. Maybe I will get in the car today, you know. Yeah, exactly. Because we, we want to encourage the environmental impact of, uh, of, of choosing alternative options, which are, which are kinder to the planet. Fantastic. OK, so um, we have the people panels. What other what other sort of products are there out there? Are you, uh, are you working on other products, I, I suppose? We need to be a little bit careful with a product type business because you don't want to uh, potentially share with any competitors or that kind of thing to, to to sort of lose that competitive edge. But is there anything you're able to share with us around what you've got in the pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got um, we started with a people panel, but that has led to a portfolio of products. Given the success of the people panel as a piece of structural um, kit on the side of the vehicle with the appropriate rigidity to really stand up to the sorts of environments they're being used in, construction, in quarries, on sites, that kind of thing. We realised that there are other applications these types of material could be used for. And one of the things was the signage on the rear of the vehicle. We wanted to look at different ways of warning people approaching on a bicycle, approaching a slow-moving lorry that may be turning left. So something we realise is that people using blind spot stickers, which are fine when you first put them on, but as soon as the lorry gets washed with a pressure washer, or if it's a concrete lorry, they use something called T99 truck wash, which is quite aggressive. Those stickers fade and they can come off and they can come away from the vehicle. And again, going back to fours and most of the other types of uh, sort of auditing um, bodies out there for road safety, they expect some sort of signage from the rear. So we developed uh, blind spot signs made of a similar material that go on the back and actually they, to this day, touch wood, we've never actually had to replace one. 
they are really good there for the life of the vehicle and as opposed to a sticker that costs three or four quid every single time we were even finding in Weybridges the people in the Weybridges were keeping a stack of these things and every time a lorry came in they'd give them a blind spot sticker because they knew that that lorry was going to get washed or wash off there was a new one to stick on it wasn't cost effective we managed to bring them to market at 20 quid and they go on usually now through the bodybuilders and they last a lifetime of the vehicle and then looked at things like the chapter eight boards as well which are the chevrons you see on the backs of the lorries suffer with exactly the same thing these things are just stickers and they get washed off they're not up to the environment they need to be so we went out we used our connections commercially to source even better materials and make them cost effective and put them together and then we trialed them with people like aggregate industries who the bodies of their lorries are carrying asphalt which expand and contract they get hot and cold and we needed materials that would stand up to all of this there was a lot of research and development lots of trial and error but when we finally got there and came up with a completed product we were at it, able to add it to our other products, which the majority of the time when they're not being retrofitted to vehicles already on the road, we direct supply people like Wilcox, Thompson's, um, a lot of the bigger trailer manufacturers, um, lots and lots of people that are actually building the lorries. They're incorporating our equipment from the point of build. So on day one, when that lorry goes on the road, it looks smarter. It's got the appropriate warning signage. It's branded to the company colours, um, and you know it really looks good. Fantastic! I think uh, all great solutions, actually, all great solutions. And uh, I see, uh, I see so many vehicles with the chevrons, and like you say, it's, it's a genuine issue, isn't it? So, are you are you making those out of? Um because it's not a plastic, is it, you use for the side panels? It's like a, is it like a sheet aluminium, is it? Yeah, it's similar to a sheet, sheet aluminium, but it, it incorporates uh, vulcanised rubber as well. So it has an element of shock resistance. So it, it's, when there's an impact, it dissipates the shock in a similar way that a cycle helmet over a, an old tin helmet works. Yeah. Instead of an actual impact and a thud, it spreads that shock out. So it, we found that it was reducing blunt trauma injuries. If you bang an elbow or an arm or body or that kind of thing, there's actually a level of uh, resistance in that and shock absorbency. And we've been using the same material on almost everything. We've actually just started working with HS2. So um, we've got something called an identifier that goes in the cabs of the vehicles. And this is something we're supplying HS2 um, through uh, the uh, DVSA directly. Um, and these are an identifier that goes in the windscreens of vehicles made of the same material so it can be dropped in the cab, that kind of thing. If they open the window, it won't fly around or get wet if they put the heating on because previously they were just making them out of paper. Now there's something that can be used on the project. And then on the reverse, it's got QR codes that point back to the O license number and options to be able to work on those sites which also has advantages that if we know and are able to trace the supply chain, if anything does happen, there are QR codes and things that we can obviously have that level of accountability and also security as well, counter-terrorism, that sort of thing. We know that the vehicles coming onto potentially sensitive sites have gone through 
a certain level of training and security checks, etc. So we're working with that as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. I think um, one of the things that we were talking about before we started the podcast. Oh, I, uh, my screen just went blank for a minute then, but I don't think I lost it. So you're still there, which is good. Hopefully it didn't go blank uh, anywhere else. I, I don't know if I've got a loose connection or something. Um, we, uh, we spoke about culture and driving culture change. What is obviously, and culture fascinates me, people, their behavior, how things are done around here, you know, that, that kind of thing and the different ingredients that fall into uh, culture and behavioural change. What is the culture that you'd like to see uh, and, and what, what changes would you like to see from that point of view? So my idea of culture change is similar to something called Vision Zero. And Vision Zero a few years ago was a philosophy that um, by mid the century we would as a collective, eliminate all road deaths. Now, while I think that's fantastic and it's great to work towards, being a pessimistic copper in the background, I think it's equally as important to recognise that collisions will always happen. I know people that have watched Hot Fuzz, they always go on about, oh, official vocab guidelines say we, we don't call it an accident anymore, we call it a collision. But actually there is an element of an accident there because it's like if you break the teapot. Okay, it's a collision because your teapot has hit the floor. But actually releasing that teapot was an accident. So I think that to blanket turn around and... and not acknowledge the fact that there are some things that happen accidentally, we can look at the cause of that and tackle that to stop it happening again, as opposed to just straight away bringing in a blame culture. And I think that the culture change needs to be to recognise that and bring together all the various different road users and road safety professionals, law enforcement agencies to spread and share best practice and learn from the mistakes that have happened and realise that mistakes will happen. Even if you look at aviation and trains, you know, will there ever be another aeroplane crash? Well, I hope so. Everybody hopes not. You know, I, I hope not. Everybody hopes that it will never be the case that another aeroplane will crash. But likelihood is, at some point in future history, an aeroplane will crash. But we have a black box there to find out how it's happened, prevent it happening again, all those causation factors. And these are things that happen in the road transport industry as well. We need to look at the dynamics of the collision what started it? Was it driver fatigue? Was it uh, an insecure load? Was it the road structure, the way it was laid out? Was it, did it come down to the attitude of one of the road users, that kind of thing? There are always areas of improvement. And I think to say that we're ever going to completely eliminate all road deaths, yes, it's wonderful, but I don't think it's accurate. Unfortunately, I think there will always be that element of risk that could result in the loss of life. And while that is there, 
we should never be complacent and we need to keep moving forwards together to make sure that we do everything we can to prevent it. A little bit of a technical issue. Uh, Harry, who kindly edits the podcast, I'm sure he'll be able to stitch it together like nothing ever happened. Um, but you were talking about Vision Zero with uh, the culture. When we're talking about culture, and you were saying about that's that that correct has corrected me that obviously there is there is an element, and I was about to chip in actually the the, the environmental factor, the human factors around what causes collisions to take place. Yeah, so the question was... The question was, was what's the cultural change that you would like to see occur off the back of the work that you're doing? Sure. So what I would like to see is a culture change is that I, um, as a bit being a bit pessimistic, um, I don't agree with certain things that are work towards with regards to the complete elimination of road damage. So I, the way I perceive it to be, I'm going to start that again. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't come out right. <clears throat> so a lot of road safety professionals point towards something called Vision Zero. And Vision Zero was an idea that came up by eliminating, I think, mid this century, um, all road deaths. But being a little bit pessimistic, I don't think the elimination of all road deaths for the entirety of history is something that is possible. Because ultimately, it's always something that, you know what, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm completely tongue-tied. Do you know what? It's it's absolutely fine. Maybe, maybe you can just cut the other one a bit short. I'm because I'm not talking. I'm trying to remember what I said before. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. What we'll do is we'll just we'll just cut the other bit short because you were nearly there, and I was about to. Yeah. Uh, essentially, you you were nearly, you were sort of finishing, and I was just sort of about to come in with. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Mission Zero it isn't going to happen because we've got this bloody thing called human beings behind the wheel which is like the human factors element which is you know the the stuff that fascinates me but whilst we've got this squidgy fallible tired type creature behind a wheel of a vehicle or walking alongside a vehicle or interacting with the vehicle on a bike and you know it's got this irrational brain that doesn't quite serve itself very sometimes and you know all that sort of stuff that's going to always create accidents. It's always going to be mistakes. So I guess it's down to us to produce. And that's the reason for you existing, isn't it? Because in a way, you've created a product that's gone, actually, you're going to make a mistake. You may be going to make a judgment error. But this panel, you're not going to get sucked in. You're not going to get sucked behind the wheels. You're going to hit it and you're going to bounce off. And yes, you might hurt yourself. But luckily, you're not going to get under those drive that drive axle wheels, which is going to be catastrophic. Um, and that's that's. You talk about the pink squidgy thing behind the wheel and alongside, and it's absolutely right. But the our very nature dictates that when you see something big and bright, you tend to look at it, especially yeah. if it's yellow or if it looks good. I mean, I'm a little bit of a petrol head, as you might imagine, being an ex motorbike copper, and I think that it looks really cool. You know, it does look cool, even. Yeah. Even on the lorry, when they're different colours and they match the brands, they look really, really cool. And it's something that I'm looking at, and it's something that people in their cars look at and all the rest of it. And for whatever reason, they're looking at it. 
they're looking at the danger zone. And to look at it, I need to be away from it. I can't look at it if I'm at point blank range. So it encourages people to be aware of that danger zone, to be around the vehicle. And you ask about the culture change um, that I would like to see. I would like to see better, even better bonding between road users. They say that people that have road rage in cars they tend to be the people that don't see the person in the car. They just see a red car and they see red and they get angry at the shape of the car or whatever else because they don't appreciate that someone's mum or dad or daughter or sister in that car or on that bicycle. And likewise, that culture change needs to be not a blame culture because you, you, you mentioned it earlier, cyclists that hate lorries, lorry drivers hate cyclists in these online groups. But actually, your cyclist needs to be aware that you can't be on a £2,000 racing bike, lycra clad, all dressed in black, five o'clock in the morning in November, at 30 miles an hour, riding down a road alongside lorries. I mean, if you're in a lorry, you're still only equipped with eyeball mark one. That's all we get. And no amount of camera systems and warning sensors and everything else are ever going to account for somebody moving so quickly, almost invisible. So the onus of responsibility needs to give, be given back by some enlarged and vulnerable road users. Yes, they are vulnerable, but should they always be treated as a victim? I think there needs to be an element of responsibility and ownership of their care for themselves when they are on the road and riding around and using the road for transport, or as many cyclists do, using the road as a place of exercise. I think I think there's a position. Do you know what? I'm going to finish on this idea because I think it's a brilliant one. I think there should be people panels on the roadside to tell cyclists or educate cyclists and educate vulnerable road users on good good road practice. I think that would be a good idea. How about that? Brilliant. <laughs> what do you reckon? I reckon uh, this like because there isn't really much education, is there? Around and about position, you know, railings, that kind of thing. You could have some educational messages. I think you need to do a bit of research to make sure that things are worded correctly to make sure that it's inoffensive, like like we said before, politically correct. But actually, I think there's a great opportunity to use to use the landscape to create safety messages for for all for all users but also like you said dial up that human message actually let's let's dial up that human message that actually because I, I i tell you what really works for me whenever i pass roadworks and that is the photo of the kid next to the roadworks going make sure my daddy comes home yeah. i'm slowing down to that speed limit 100 percent. as soon as i see that it's totally humanised every man, woman, whoever that's working on that on that side of the road. When actually just a signage which says slow down, it's it's the behavioural concept of the, you know, a speed camera works better than a road sign. A speed camera works better because there's a penalty behind it um, and you're going to get points and you're going to get a fine and all of that stuff. So a speed camera is better, a preventative measure than a sign is. But actually, if we can humanise the message, um and 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 use road signage to humanize the message for people actually the penalty is even greater because then it's the penalty of your your own morality and your own 
you know, when we start, because people are morally good people, generally speaking, no one, no one goes out to be a dickhead, do they? You know, I don't think. And uh, I think if we can humanise that message on the on the sides of the roads with educational messages, fantastic. I think people panels is the way to go, mate. (laughs) (laughs) James, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. And I found it I found it really motivational, actually. So I hope. I hope the listeners have really enjoyed it as well, but I think it's a fascinating story and an amazing product, mate. So, uh, and I think your your company ethos is just brilliant. So just keep uh, keep fighting the good fight, mate. So thank you very much for joining me. If people want to find out, if people are listening, you know, generally speaking, the audience is like transport managers, those kinds of people. So they, they're decision makers when it comes to uh, body body selection and and also fitments and things like that. So. Uh, where should they get in touch with you? How do, how do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? What's the best way, James? Uh, so we've got a really good website. It's um, www.doorshighway.com. Doorshighway.com. Um, you can PM me or have a look at our um, LinkedIn pages. We're quite active on Instagram. We've got a big, big following of lots of people that like to put pictures of their trucks up. We do a... Um, a game called Spot the People panel on social media where people can take pictures of lorries and certain brands and they can win, you know, um, McDonald's or Costa vouchers and that kind of thing to help get the brands out there, get people recognised and get the lorries recognised and it just all reinforces that whole, the whole message and the ethos behind the actual product. But certainly start with a website, Doors Highway Safe, Doors Highway, um and uh, have a look on there and there's lots of ways to get in touch with us through that brilliant james it's been an absolute pleasure and you've been a gent thank you very much and to listeners uh thank you for listening please do consider next time you're buying vehicles speaking to james and his team about people panels because i think it's an absolutely fantastic product and i think it's a no-brainer because it helps safety it improves your brand your csr it, it ticks every single box that you want to as an operator and it helps you look brilliantly professional so why why not why why on earth not so um yeah do get in touch with james and thank you very much for being on the podcast uh and if you thought it's good please do subscribe and share it with your friends thank you very much thank you i really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners, and we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.